Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. The next Tell Us Something live storytelling event is September 27th at the Denison Theater. The theme is Letting Go. Eight storytellers take the stage to share their true personal stories from memory. Tickets are now on sale for Tell Us Something live at the Denison Theater, September 27th. Get your tickets at tellussomething.org. We again welcome our friends from the deaf community by providing American Sign Language interpretation. See you September 27th for Letting Go Stories at the Denison Theater. More information and tickets are available at tellussomething.org. The next Tell Us Something podcast episodes are a little different than what you are used to. You will meet each member of the Tell Us Something board. Former board member Sierra Ty Brownlee interviewed the Tell Us Something board for her podcast, Impactful Experiences. Sierra believes that listening to meaningful stories changes your ideas and makes you think and feel beyond what you may already accept. This week, Sierra sits down with Tell Us Something board secretary, Sarah Fitzgerald. Let's listen. Welcome back to Impactful Experiences with Sierra Ty Brownlee, where I chat with a new guest each episode and ask them to share one of their impactful experiences. This is your host, Sierra, and I want to thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Today, I am joined by Sarah Fitzgerald, currently working at the health department with COVID outreach, living in Missoula, Montana, and serving on the Tell Us Something board. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad to be here, Sierra. Can't wait to connect with you and just uh, chat. All right. Well, I really appreciate it. And if you would just like to hop right into your story and experience. Yeah, I think this is such a difficult thing to choose, right? Um, When you look at your life, there's so many pivotal moments that you can kind of see and see so clearly. And I think for me, my experience as a Jesuit volunteer is just one of those pivotal moments in my life I can recognize as one of the most impactful experiences that really, really sent me on the trajectory where I am today and affects me as um, who I am as a human today. So um, yeah, I'll discuss uh, if that works, just my service, what that was, what it involved and um, how it impacted me. Definitely. Yeah. Whatever you would like to share, I'm happy to listen. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with college, I was so uncertain of what I wanted to do. Uh, mm-hmm. There were just so many different possibilities. And for me, I didn't have a clear career path. And that can be quite overwhelming when you're a senior in college, you're trying yeah. to wrap everything up. You have Um, colleagues and friends who have an exact plan and path. And for me, that was a lot less clear. Um, Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to probably be in the nonprofit space, but wasn't sure exactly where I would fit. And if I even had a skill set that could be useful for an organization. And so that senior year, I definitely was looking to my mentors to just kind of give Mm -hmm. some guidance. What do you do when you have no idea what you want to do? Yeah. And I'm lucky enough, one of my mentors said, Hey, there's this program. It's called the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. It may be up your alley. I think you'd personally be a good fit. And I kind of wrote it off almost immediately. I'll be honest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It was the postgraduate service program. 
And I immediately saw it was with the Jesuits, who are a Catholic organization. And mm-hmm. I had gone to Catholic school from kindergarten all the way through college. Mm-hmm. You know, there were just some things I was just not a hundred percent certain about and just thought, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want to commit to a year of service and have to do all the Catholic things. Yeah. I was able to connect with someone who did the program and she clearly laid it out. Oh my gosh, that is such a tiny itty bitty part of this organization and your year of service. So Mm. she explained that you're able to travel basically to any position in the U.S. that will take you. You get to Uh, live there for a year. mm -hmm. Your rent is paid. You get connected with an organization um, where you can work with for a year. And they know, they know that, hey, you're getting a fresh college grad. They might not have a lot of workplace experience. And Mm -hmm. you have accepting organizations like that. And I was thinking, wow, this is all sounding really, really great. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, there are some things um, you won't get paid a full salary. Uh, you will only take home $100 a month. Okay, you okay. will have to pool your money um, and you'll be living with strangers who also choose how to do this. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would run off scared. And that's <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a hard sell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was so exciting. I I thought it was just so interesting, right? Like I can live somewhere so different from anywhere I've lived before. I can be with like-minded people who are also choosing this program. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been pretty heavily involved with the social justice center at my uh, college, and that was one of the tenets of your working for social justice. Mm-hmm. You did have a spirituality component. Um, That was one of the tenets of you had to have one spirituality night per week, but people came from all faith backgrounds. So primarily Catholic, um, but you just had to be comfortable talking about your spirituality. Mm -hmm. So when it was framed like that, I thought, you know, let's, let's just try. Mm -hmm. Let's just really see um, what is available And so I did the application process and there was quite extensive interviews. You had to do essays. Mm -hmm. Um, They really wanted you to think and consider the implications of joining the program. Um, You know, they really encouraged you to be in a community, um, in a state, in a city you've never visited, you've never been to, you don't have any family ties. Mm -hmm. And the whole point is they want to make it a, a level playing field for everyone else in the community. So you all come together um, and learn together. Mm-hmm. And so I interviewed for a place, um, a community garden position in Newark, New Jersey. Okay. I interviewed for a school in New Orleans mm-hmm. and then a school setting in St. Louis, Missouri. And yeah. it was nerve wracking because you weren't guaranteed a placement, right? Yeah. Like if you interviewed for those places and all three said, no dice. We don't <laughs> no, we don't want this person. Um yeah. then then it you you wouldn't unfortunately be able to participate or they would have to have you do more interviews. So it was mm-hmm. a real job interview process. And um some folks may have a lot of experience with that, some folks may not. And so it's really um at the time it was very competitive. They had more yeah. applicants than positions. Mm-hmm. Um, so Luckily, it worked out. Um, I received the placement mm-hmm. in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. Um, 
I had never been that far east. The furthest yeah. east I had been was like Eastern Oregon. <laughs> so, okay. Um, it the Midwest was just something I knew very little about. I knew very little about Missouri, um, and it was such a nerve wracking process to think, who am I going to be living with? You have no idea. And so um, about six weeks before we were supposed to, you know, be on an airplane moving, you figured out who your roommates were. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was placed with three women. Um, All of them were from the East coast. And so we literally met in um, Indiana and there were 150 people all doing the program in the Midwest. And it was, it felt like summer camp. It really <laughs> felt like summer camp at the beginning. Um, but then very much you di- you were starting to dive in and they did trainings of, okay, first day of work, what should you expect? How should you be acting? Um, they made it abundantly clear, even though this was a volunteer position, you're working full time. You're going to be working 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. You will have assessments like any other job. Um, and they also just really emphasized, you know, hey, you're living with people and you may not have the same political viewpoint. Mm-hmm. You may not have the same upbringing. You may not be from the same, um, you know, your families might have very different wealth backgrounds. And so, um you have about a week of preparation with a, these other 150 people. And then mm-hmm. literally they handed us keys to a rental van. I got in the car with these three other women and we drove seven hours, six or seven hours. Wow. to St. Louis. Some good bonding before, before oh starting. My gosh. It was, uh, we had to stop. And one of the girls, God lover said, Oh, I have to take a walk. And then we noticed she was sobbing. She was just sobbing oh. in a gas station parking lot. And we didn't know her. And you just were like, do we go over there? What do we yeah. do? And, um, fast forward, um, we learned later on this, this, um, community mate, she literally was considering just turning back and going home at that moment that Mm -hmm. she really was like, I can't do this. These, I can't live with these people. I can't commit. And, um, uh, it was, it's funny to laugh at afterwards, but you know, I think a lot of folks felt that in the first, um, the first week, the first few days, the first month, um, it was, um, not, I don't want to say common, but there were at least 10 folks, I would say, who dropped out throughout the year for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. Um, it's just a very challenging environment to be in when you yeah. are just left with yourself. Like you have mm-hmm. other folks thrown into it, but you have to navigate this wholly on your own. And a lot of my college friends just didn't understand why would I would choose to do that while they yeah. were going off and starting grad school or their brand new jobs. And so explaining like, you know, I'm living in this thing called intentional community. We're not going to have internet. I make a hundred dollars mm-hmm. a month. You know, it, it kind of is really difficult to explain to someone if, they're not um, understanding of the program of why you would choose to do that. And Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, you may have to limit contact a little more than you normally would. Um, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Okay. This is so interesting. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the work that you did? And also I know it sounds as though some people you said were having some difficult times. Did you ever face maybe 
some or have some similar feelings and what kept you in the program yeah um i can start with the job um the job was to be just a general school assistant at a middle mm-hmm. school it was a nativity miguel modeled school which is a specialized type of school that primarily serves families um at the federal poverty level so okay. Uh, most students qualified for the federal lunch program, which is that indication of being at or around the poverty level. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a typical school in the sense of school starts at 8, 8.30, and everyone leaves at 3.30. Um, there's three full meals served per day. Uh, the students arrive at 7 a.m. They get breakfast. They get um, a morning meal. Um And then school is not finished until 5 p.m. And so that includes after school activities, that includes homework time. Um, And my role was to be a teacher's assistant for the English teacher Mm -hmm. and to help and give super or um, just give extra attention to students who are at risk of falling behind. So folks who needed help with reading, um, needed help with writing essays, uh, some remedial work. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with that work. Mm-hmm. I, I signed up to be the volleyball coach. I was the lunch lady. I would come on Saturdays and help garden. Um, it was just such a beautiful, beautiful, difficult job. Yeah. <laughs> the librarian, you know, just whatever they needed that wasn't an assigned teacher position. Yeah. My name put on the list to help out and mm-hmm. uh, do that. And so it was, like I said, an all girls middle school. So really unique kind of setting too. There yeah. were about 80, 80 girls and okay. um, what a fun environment it was. Uh, it, it's indescribable what it is to be teaching mm-hmm. 80 preteens and teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of soul pranks and, um, sassiness and just like really empower like you know the beginnings of empowered women and to be on that journey with them to just Mm -hmm. encourage and um, be there outside of the teacher's role was really really just Mm life-giving um and I will say though at the end of the year um I helped substitute teach and it became distinctly clear to me that my skill set was not meant to be a classroom teacher. (laughs) I loved working with the girls, but that definitely was a challenge, right? Um, Not having a formal teaching background and being in that environment where you want to help, you want to do as much as possible, but recognizing, oh gosh, I can fill in, but I am certainly not a qualified teacher who um, can just pick this up super, super quickly. Um, and I think, you know, that's hard. I, I think that gets to one of the challenges a lot of us had is we were put in positions like that, um, in work positions where we may not have had the qualifications, you know, mm-hmm. we received internal training, um, we received guidance, we had supervision, but a lot of the work, you know, um, you could recognize, oh gosh, I'm learning. (laughs) I am building the plane as I'm flying. And so that could be hard when you have to be so present and aware at your job 
And then you come home. And once again, you may not agree with the political views of the folks you're living with. You may not agree. Oh, gosh, we only have $13 left Mm -hmm. in our grocery fund. It's the end of the month. What do we do? And so that could create tensions. Um, There for sure. I remember um, we would have weekly what we called business meetings with our community. So just going over what are the commitments that we have? Um, what When you're a Jesuit volunteer, it's really different based on what area you're in. But being in St. Louis, um, it is the headquarters for Jesuit priests. Okay, okay. And so we were pretty involved with that community um, in varying levels. And that came from just uh, going to dinner with some of the priests. Sometimes the novitiates would, um, you know, want to hang out. Um, lots of nuns wanted to have us over all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, that I, so we would have these weekly business meetings where we would go over, okay, what are our community commitments? What are our work commitments? What do we want to do? Right? Like we yeah. live close to Chicago and Nashville and all these fun places. So, um, what do we want to do with our limited finances, time and travel? So, mm-hmm. Uh, but there were many times we'd have these business meetings and you just wouldn't agree. You just, yeah. you know, people might want to go to Chicago. Someone might not want to leave the house. And so you would be tired and have to be present to your community. And so those are the examples we give, you know, it's just not roommates. Um, it's like roommates on, I, I hope this is okay to say steroids that <laughs> you are not only obligated to yourself, but you're obligated mm-hmm. to these People. And that's one of the basic tenants you sign up for is that that community aspect. Um, so it could be the most life giving. There definitely were times I butted heads with people just mm-hmm. as you do living with people. Um, and fast forward, gosh, I loved my St. Louis year so much. I said, I'll do another year, which mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm laughing because again, crazy, right? Um, not, yeah. I think about 10 to 20% of Jesuit volunteers re-up and sign up again. So it's a limited number. Um, And so I signed up for another year in Billings, Montana. And yeah, that community too, I think uh, there were a lot more differences I had amongst my community mates. Um, And so that definitely had a lot more challenges. There were a lot more of us. There were six total Mm -hmm. my second year. So there were just a lot more personalities. Um, And I would say, those were the harder times when just you couldn't agree. It wasn't easy. Um, mm-hmm. But fast forward, those folks made the experience the most life-giving. When you had a terrible day, you could count on those people having your back because they probably have had terrible days and you were there for mm-hmm. them. So even though you might not see eye to eye when someone was just like, oh, heck, I got yelled at by a client. I messed up on this. You could mm-hmm. be there to empathize and just hear them out because um, you know that they were committed to their nonprofit. They were committed to trying to be the best. And if they felt like they couldn't reach that standard, you could be there to affirm, no, you're still a great human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're still yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. This seems like such such a journey and such an experience. So what would you say were maybe some things you really took away or some things you think change within you based off of doing these programs? Yeah, I think for me, 
the the biggest takeaway was the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, there were 150-ish of us in the Midwest. There were 30 of us total all around Montana. And I, I just get the chills thinking of that group. There are now doctors. Mm-hmm. There are professors. There are published authors. There are therapists. There are executive directors. Um I am always astounded when I'm just on Facebook or Instagram because I see these people, what we call former graduate volunteers, yeah. just out in the world making incredible impact for their communities still. Mm-hmm. Um, I made lifelong friends. Um, mm-hmm. My husband actually did the program. So okay. we met through the program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's something I always, um, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because you meet a lot of like-minded people. And so um, I just laughed because at one point we were just punk kids trying our best. (laughs) (laughs) He's my partner. He's my husband. Um, I, I just can't say enough of what it means to create these relationships and friendships. And Mm -hmm. even if it's just being acquaintances, being able to cheer on this group of humans as they're out in the world now, just making an incredible difference, even though, you know, our volunteer years are nearly a decade behind us. um, Mm -hmm. There's still a ton of people I keep in contact with. And so um, what I love too, just specifically for Montana, out of the 30 of us, 15 people stayed and um, wow. I think eight to 10 of us are still here. You know, we, we made Montana our forever community. Mm-hmm. And so um, I still really love all those folks a lot too. We get to see each other a lot. And wow. I just Amazing. I know that you mentioned kind of at the beginning that as you were a senior in college, you didn't exactly know what direction you wanted to go. And so after these two years, did you have a clear idea or have clear interest? And how did that kind of guide your next steps? Yeah, I fell in love with Montana because of the work I did in Billings. Mm-hmm. I did grassroots organizing work with farmers and ranchers. Mm-hmm. And I kind of let them know at the beginning, I said, put me in a car. I want to go everywhere. Mm-hmm. I want to go as far as you'll let me. I want to see Montana. And I got to meet farmers and ranchers in Sydney and Lewistown, um, on the High Line, Shoto, um, folks, you know, in the Bitterroot. So I was lucky enough that I did get to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I fell in love with the organization I worked with. I loved the people I worked with and, you know, more or less told them, if, if you'll have me, I'll stay. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't have the funding immediately, but the funding came up and I was able to work with them for an Mm -hmm. additional few years there. Um, And I, I just cannot thank them enough, that organization for those people. Um, Many of them are still working there and doing incredible work. And I Mm -hmm. just fell in love working with farmers and ranchers. I loved community organizing. I loved fundraising they let me grow a ton um and 
there, there aren't many organizations who will take folks like that, who just have a lot of energy and not much direction. <laughs> they mm-hmm. kind of shape and form and direct you. And so that organization, I will just be forever grateful for them taking a chance on me and mm-hmm. um, just letting me grow. Yeah. Wow. And so what would you hope to do or pursue in the future, future career goals or yeah, maybe different impacts you'd like to make? I, after that nonprofit, um, at the time with my husband and I were dating. And Mm -hmm. so we just kind of had to make the decision. We had to choose Billings or Missoula. And so one out and, um, at that time, it just made sense to transition into additional nonprofit work. And Mm -hmm. that's what I've been doing largely um, since then uh, until the opportunity for COVID outreach came. And I just felt it was called to do that work for the health department here. Mm -hmm. Um, I just felt in my bones, you know, hey, it's time for a change. There's, you know, it's time to try something different. Mm -hmm. And so um, right now it's just a fascinating time because our COVID outreach is winding down at the end of June. Um, mm-hmm. So it's on the horizon of kind of what's looking next. And so your yeah. question at the perfect time. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm not sure. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Right. I think that was one thing I had thought um, in my twenties, you know, I'm going to for certain, no, I'm going to just know, absolutely. I'm going to find the one organization and work there for mm-hmm. 30 years like my parents did. And so that's the continual conversation I'm having with um, my, the folks around me of, you know, what is next after June? So I think what's next immediately after June is enjoying a Montana summer. July yeah. <laughs> and August, just mm-hmm. being here and hopefully a lot of camping and being outdoors. I think um, I will continue with nonprofit work. I just find it really life-giving. But I think it's also just an okay thing. A lot of my peers are talking about just in your thirties, you know, it's okay to just not exactly have that career path lined out. Um, Mm -hmm. It's okay to just see where it takes you. And I think one thing I just can land on um, that I wish I had in my twenties was just that confidence of it will be okay. It will Mm -hmm. be okay. You can land somewhere. It will be okay. Um, And so just affirming anyone out there who is looking, gosh, what to do next. It's Mm -hmm. okay. if You don't. it's fine. Yeah, definitely. That's certainly great advice. I want to ask kind of a broad question, but what really motivates you to kind of take on these roles and really give back and support the community? Because kind of like what you said earlier, maybe some people would be quite confused why you would do the program that you did right out of college. But it seems as though you really just, I don't know, are so giving and so kind in that sense. So what do you think motivates you in that way? I a lot of people don't have those clear moments, but I distinctly remember in college, I was an environmental major mm-hmm. and we just had one class discussing climate change. And literally it was heartbreaking. It it was just an overwhelming sense of grief that mm-hmm. hit all of us just discussing what our climate future was going to look like and um, being really afraid and fearful. And I remember just hanging around, talking to some of my classmates about it. And I 
what was walking home from campus. It was about an eight block walk. And mm-hmm. so I was walking home and I just had that moment where I'm like, you know, I can't do everything. Mm-hmm. I absolutely can't do everything, but what can I do in my corner of the universe? And yeah. so my mantra became improve your corner of the universe. It could mm-hmm. be so small. It could be so tiny. It could just be simple acts of kindness you sprinkle throughout your day. Mm -hmm. But for me, that became my guiding principle of, you know, whatever you're doing, you need to be improving your corner. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes that's really clear and um, really apparent and really can set some big goals. And sometimes, you know, you just recognize like, hey, I can't offer that to everyone (laughs) in the whole world. But you know, what I can do is I can be nice to the folks I'm interacting with today, even though I don't have to. Um, I can send a text to someone saying I'm thinking about them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's still a guiding mantra I carry on um, is what can I be doing to improve my corner of the universe? Maybe it's my career, maybe it's my personal life, but that is something I have thought about every single day since that day in college. And that, that definitely played a huge part in entering the nonprofit space and also Mm -hmm. choosing to do the Jesuit volunteer corps. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a great mantra. And I think that is certainly, I don't know, that makes that makes sense and really aligns um, with kind of, I know we don't know each other extremely well, but you're always very kind and very positive. And I'm really grateful that we have been able to get to meet each other. Um, and this kind of ties into another question. How do you stay so positive and i think that you always just bring this energy um whether it be to meetings or just interactions and i wanted to ask how you're able to keep that up oh my gosh i think i've been this way since i was (laughs) a child my parents used to tease like you're gonna win most likely to brighten your day i just (laughs) i've always been pretty extroverted and just really super optimistic. And I think definitely when I was starting my career, that was something I was worried was held against me. You know, when you're a young woman coming into spaces that can be seen as being extremely naive. Um, And that was really difficult for me to navigate um, in some ways where I just wanted to be positive. I literally used to say, I like Mondays because Mondays would be the first day, could be the first day for the best week of your life. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, you know, that's, that's a amazing. lot for people to hear. And so I, I mean, I truly believe it though, that there are just times if you can just look to the bright side, why not? Um, And I just was raised to be extremely grateful for everything. And Mm -hmm. so for me, that became kind of um, an internal practice of what can I be grateful for? And so um, for me, I think that's what really cares or carries me to be optimistic and to always look at the bright side because Even if I'm in a challenging situation, I might not think it at that exact moment. But if I go to sleep, I can wake up and just think, oh, my gosh, I'm waking up to another day in Montana. I'm waking Mm -hmm. up another day where I have the opportunity to just try my best. And so um, I think just having profound gratefulness to just 
to just live every day, I think that really carries me. And I know that's, that's kind of hard to quantify, no, or mm-hmm. <laughs> categorize. Wow. That's amazing. Um, wow. I think I've taken so much from this meeting. I think I need to implement these mantras and tips. I really like that. That's saying about Monday. That's very cool. Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> but let me tell you, there are some times though where that's not what I'm thinking. Certainly is not. I, you know, but I, um, the, the just practice of gratefulness of yeah. it's so cheesy, but just trying to think of three things during the day that were awesome. Um, that's, that's my practice at night is just trying to think of three things that really made today a good day. And there were times where it was hard, where, where I just struggled to name three. Um, but just it, like most things, it's a practice. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're not going to be great at it, but, um, you can just try and give it a go. And so, um, that's how I kind of shape that and see that. Definitely. Okay. Well, I think we've talked about quite a bit and I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, But as a final question, I always like to ask, what is the best piece of life advice you have been given? I had a dear friend tell me this. um, You have to be scared in order to be brave. Um, You know, and so... He told me that. And again, it was at a time where I had a lot of decisions to make and I really wasn't sure what to do. And so I felt like I was freaking out internally. But this is how you know you have really great friends. He could tell it was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was trying to emphasize that. So he's like, you know what? It's okay that you're a little scared right now. That means yeah. you can be really, really brave. Mm-hmm. And so um, in those uncertain moments, in those even just small moments of just thinking, oh my gosh, I just feel so overwhelmed. I, I like to think, you know, I'm a little scared, but that means I can just step up and be brave. Wow. Another great saying, kind of like when you're scared, there's really just an opportunity. Yeah. It it really is. And oh gosh, Sierra, thank you so much. I'm so glad we got to do this together today. And um, I just am so looking forward to, uh, you know, I hope we get to interview you for uh, <laughs> so we can hear um, all about you and what you think is impactful. And um, I just so, so appreciate our time together today. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Sarah. This has been I don't know. I just really love this conversation and I've loved hearing about your experiences and all of these different mantras that you have. I think all of this advice is just really helpful and I think more people need to hear it. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And just again, no one has to be perfect. No one has to be perfect. We can only try. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Well, once again, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on and thank you guys for listening. Take care. Thanks, Sierra and Sarah. Sarah Fitzgerald believes that storytelling is the basis for creating kinship and greater understanding. She brings nonprofit experience ranging from communications work fundraising, and program management. Her love of community and people has led her to work with middle school students in St. Louis, coordinating volunteers in Montana and Idaho, and driving all over eastern Montana 
for community organizing work. In her free time, Sarah is likely planning her next road trip with her husband and dog. She's excited to be part of the larger mission of bringing Missoula together one story at a time. Sierra Ty Brownlee is a curious individual with a never-ending interest in people and their stories. From asking 50 strangers for their best piece of life advice, to sitting down to hear about pivotal stories on her podcast, Impactful Experiences, with Sierra Ty Brownlee, Sierra is always excited to meet new people and hear what they would like to share. You can find the Impactful Experiences podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our in-kind sponsors, Joyce of Tile, Gecko Designs, Float Missoula, and Missoula Broadcasting Company. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Remember to get your tickets to the next event, September 27th, 2022, live at the Denison Theater. The theme is Letting Go. More information and tickets are available at tellussomething.org.